Can you hear our voices talking? Yeah, we're good. Okay, I'm going to stop playing with this dog in one second. Can't stop. Special guest tonight, Moose. Moose. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Moose. The death of old cinema, the birth of new cinema, beauty and ugliness, intelligence and simplicity, wild at heart. Welcome back to Heat Seeking Panther. We have a special guest this week, um, Emily. And Moose. And Moose the dog. Say hi, Moose. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Emily, I, uh, I wanted you on this podcast because I don't, know if, I don't know if you introduced Wild at Heart. No, I think I'd seen it before, but you're, I think the person I know who loves this movie more deeply than anyone else. <laughs> it's Is, true. I do. Yeah. <laughs> when was the first time you saw Wild at Heart? Um, I don't know. It was maybe in like 2009 or something. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard some really good things about it. Well, cause I was reading up, did you guys, this might have to come later, but did you guys hear about, how first of all, because the one of the best things about it is that Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern have like the best fucking chemistry ever. Yeah. They're just like the the best like on screen couple like in my opinion. They just have such like crazy like, and apparently they went on a trip to Las Vegas together like before it started to like get to know to like bond and like become their characters. And I bet they definitely banged. Yeah, and they, he, <laughs> it makes it so much better. He says he says that they didn't bang and they were just good friends but i don't know they're i don't believe them i think they're both like <laughs> i think they were both like crazy like method actors and yeah like and I they were know. saying that they were like well we wanted them because i always think about it it's like they're kind of like one character mm-hmm. and that was their thing they're like we wanted them to be one character oh, so that's we just cool. yeah yeah they're kind of like different sides to uh, so like so they definitely one did. kind of that's like wild personality right yeah <laughs> yeah i think that they definitely it's did it's like that song the night tonight is the night when two become one yeah it's just just like that song after that song right (laughs) but it's true i mean and that's i i think they're i mean just those character the characters of sailor and luna are like lula lula is one of (laughs) one of my favorite on-screen couples ever because it feels I don't know. They, it feels so real. It feels real. Their love feels real to me. Well, it's weird that it feels real, but there's literally nothing real about it. But they're yeah. also cartoons. Or, but that's yeah, the thing right. is like, but they're total cartoons, but they're like weirdly like, they're Sympatico. so like, but they're so like sexy and like, just like, I don't know. I, I like just, you like want to like be them or like their romance is so like pure and like great. And it's just like, ah, and they're like Southern and like, I don't know. Yeah. Sultry. But kind of like fake Southern. But fake Southern. They're just cartoons tunes that are so real <laughs> it's such a 360 or maybe 180 it's the opposite <laughs> whatever degree that is um 90 uh, <laughs> 1990 uh, degree uh change from um nick cage and sean young in firebirds the last movie we watched which was 
like Emily, mm. I'm not kidding when I say it was maybe one of the worst movies I've ever uh, seen. Should I see it? No. no. Or is it too bad? No, it's it's not even fun to watch. Oh, it's, that sucks. Yeah, it's literal propaganda a, for the US Army. Ew. Um, but yeah, Sean Young and Nicolas Cage look like, uh, they hated each hate other. Each other. <laughs> there is no, there's no chemistry. So yeah, the opposite. Yeah. But, yeah, but they, like, <laughs> I was also watching being like, they totally banged. They totally like they, those sex scenes are. So, I also believe that they're actually banging in the sex scenes. They, they're it, such good sex scenes. Yeah. And, yeah, and they're so like, <laughs> they're so cinemaxy, but like it, uh, in the best way, uh-huh, like great. he'll like shoot through like a red filter or something, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. they're super like, and it just goes on for like almost an uncomfortably long time. Also, keeps, apparently it, they've edited down a lot of those sex scenes cause they were way more like really, really dirty ones that they oh, really, yeah. I was reading about that. Like they were trying, they were like, making it rated X part of partially because of violence, but also because there were just a couple of sex scenes that were like, just really, really over the top. And they were like, no, and unless we want an X rating, we have to like edit out. I, for, I forgot that Laura Dern is like naked in it, or at least her boobs. Yeah. She broke her nudity clause yeah. for it because she loved, she, she was like, I just love David Lynch and I trust him. And I like the world. She said she likes the like hypersexual world of that movie. That's and it was awesome. like really fun to be in, which is also funny because Diane Ladd is her mom. Oh, her really? Real mom. Yeah. Did you not did you know, know that? that? Yeah. No. Yeah. Which is also fucking cool and makes their relationship even cooler, but also really weird. It'd just be really weird to be in that movie with your real mom. For sure. Unless you're an actor and that's just how it was. And know? her Diane Ladd <laughs> is clearly like down to be a total freak. Too. Oh my God. She's excellent. She, I mean, that that the- oh also sorry okay wait sorry I was just no, another okay. Laura Dern fact family factoid that I figured out too is Tennessee Williams is like her cousin or like her second cousin what? was like cousin to her and Diane Ladd no way yeah isn't that weird that's really weird but anyway totally fitting oh no sorry I was just gonna talk about how the the lipstick scene is like seriously like one of the most <laughs> disturbing filmed it's, scenes I've ever seen in my life it's I want to be that for Halloween next year have you guys seen uh that David LaChapelle video with Amanda Lepore where Mm-mm. she she does the same thing cool because I saw I saw that before seeing Wild at Heart like Amanda Lepore is like looking in the mirror and rubs like oh, pink amazing. lipstick all over herself and then all over her naked body <laughs> and then is like surfing on the top of like you know I've actually seen stills from that yeah um and I I wonder it, it feels like he pulled it like directly from this movie because that's such it's such an indelible moment of her just rubbing it on her lips and then it just like widening circles yeah. on her face. It's so good. And then she had her hair just keeps getting longer and longer. Yeah. Hey, Crispin Glover too. I know. Yeah. Third movie he's been in with, uh, with cage. It's a good, good time for him. Third. I think the best of times, uh, racing with the moon. Oh, best of times. And then this one, I don't think and there's a fourth one. Is that one. it? Yeah. Anyway, um, jingle Dell. Jingle Dell. Uh, One big cockroach right on his anus. <laughs> Honestly, I want to. And, and the cool thing that David Lynch I'm making does. Making my lunch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you should be, uh, speaking of Halloween costumes, someone should dress as. It should be my as, Christmas costume. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Jingle Dell. Every Christmas. Oh my yeah. God, look at the way that Moose is sitting on you right now. What is happening? Is he trying to hump you? Kind of, he's like hugging my arm what and, is he, and biting what's, what's me. What's he doing? Is that... What's going on here? He was like spooning you. He came up behind you and was like putting his little body. We're friends now. <laughs> he, he, 
I learned that this uh, Wild at Heart is based on an unpublished novel by a Rolling Stone writer and uh, that he showed it to his friend, Monty Montgomery, who optioned Monty it. Monty Montgomery. Mo- Monty Monty. And uh, <laughs> he showed it to David Lynch and asked him to produce it. And David Lynch was like, no, I want to direct this and wrote the script in like six days and added in his own weird stuff. So it, feel, I feel, it feels different than any other David Lynch movie that I've mm-hmm. seen because it has, it does, <laughs> I can just imagine this, whoever this person is writing for Rolling Stone and being like, I'm going to write this rock and roll, you know, <laughs> road movie odyssey and, uh, and whatever that you want to call that sensibility mixed in with David Lynch, um, is actually really special. But he I actually wanna... changed the ending too. Yeah. What was the original ending? It's like I don't know exactly. They don't. What it was. They don't get they don't back, get back together. together. Yeah. They have to get back. together. I know. They yeah. right. They have to. When I read that yeah. that the, the original was that they didn't get back together, like, what a it drag. really bummed me out. Yeah. And I think that Lynch made the right move in changing sure. the ending. Mm-hmm. It's it so. seems more uh, true to the characters than than the otherwise. Oh yeah. You know what's interesting too is um, so David Lynch wanted Nick Cage to be in this specifically because of Vampire's Kiss. Oh really? I did not mm-hmm. know that. Yeah, that is and really odd. Which just continues the yeah. How do you get the through line from his Vampire's Kiss character to imagining him as this? I think he saw <laughs> Vampire's Kiss and he was just like, "This guy will do. He's crazy and yeah. will do whatever." And um, and I, it just it continues this. Uh, through line of Nick Cage making these like bold, bizarre choices potentially to the detriment of a film and then other artists seeing it and being like, okay, we want this guy. Like he did it and Peggy Sue got married and, uh, and then he got Moonstruck and Raising Arizona from that. And then he did Vampire's Kiss, which everyone told him not to do. And uh, so the, glad he did. the weirdest like working director was like, yeah, I want him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the Cage, to, to that extent, Cage really is, is at his best when he's in a movie with a director that has a really specific eccentric style on their own mm-hmm. and, and, and can let Cage... Because then it doesn't seem as out of place when there's yeah. like a, a weird eccentric character. Think- well, he was saying that like Nick did. I don't know if you guys read that, but Nicholas Cage was saying that this is actually the movie that helped him get out of method acting. Oh yeah, because David Lynch was just rewriting shit like constantly, like before scenes and like changing like motivations. It's doing all this weird shit. So he was like, he just had to get used to like being able to switch on the dime, like change up a scene on the dime because. Yeah, he's definitely helping you. That's cool. (laughs) Is that why he's biting me? Is this like a sex bite? Yeah. Look at him. He's going nuts for you right now. Why does does Moose like me so much? (laughs) So I've... uh, I'm going to read from the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli by (laughs) Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. I'm sorry, by who? <clears throat> Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. Oh, Ian, Ian Markham Ian Smith. Yeah, yeah, that's this, cool. This is a Markham Smith joint. A Markham Smith joint. He, uh, <clears throat> Nick had been keeping a low profile, not deliberately, but because he did not have anything out in the cinemas. Then Vampire's Kiss opened and Lynch was determined to have him for the role of Sailor. He said, I knew that Nicholas was Sailor, a rebel very in, much in love with his girl who finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time too often. Nick's got nerve. It's amazing how much courage it takes to say certain things, and he's got that courage. <laughs> Sailor's a weird man. That's why I wanted Nick. He's a jazz musician of actors. He's yep. always got a very interesting...
interesting, strange slant, and he's completely unafraid. And I guess they were, they they weren't necessarily friends, but they were at, uh, they were both regulars at the Musso and Frank Grill in Hollywood, and uh, awesome. And, and um, Nick Cage would go in and sit at the bar and just stare at the chimney. I guess he liked he liked to do that. And Wait, just, that's what David Lynch did. That's what uh, Nick Cage did. Oh. <laughs> Um, it seemed like a very they, oh, they both thing they both do. would they both sit at they the both counter sit and, stare at and the just chimney. stare at the chimney above the grill. Um, David Lynch said it reminds me of old Hollywood, and Nick is a is a Hollywood type of guy. Nick Cage said of when they first met, he says, "I first met him in a restaurant in downtown L.A. I heard someone call Nick Nick in a voice that sounded exactly like James Stewart, and I was quite taken aback when I realized it was David Lynch." About a month a month later, I found out I was working with him on Wild at Heart. He told me he'd seen me once before at Thrifties. I was buying er, actually, I was buying er those things, you know. Those things that women need every now and then. Yes, tampons. I was buying tampons for my girlfriend, and David Lynch saw me. So he'd always say, hey, we shop at the same store, you and I. We both go to thrifties. (laughs) Is this real? This this sounds like a David Lynch script. It really, really does. I I think... David Lynch going to stare at the chimney. (laughs) Um, all it says about Laura Dern is Lynch wanted Laura Dern, who had co-starred with him in Blue Velvet, to be as Lula, quote, with every fiber of my body. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, last little piece of this. Uh, he introduced Nick Cage and Dern, and while filming uh, a famous old cinema, the Pan Pacific burned down a few blocks away. Lynch saw that as an omen, since fire was to be a recurring theme in his movie. The film has a lot to do with fire, so that was kind of interesting, he said. I sat opposite Nick and Laura, and the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking how both of them have the same quality of being beautiful and not beautiful, intelligent, and yet so understanding of ordinary life. Yeah. So the snakeskin jacket was cages? Yeah. yeah. And, he, really and he told Lynch that he wanted to wear it, and Lynch was like, great, do it. Yeah. And then, so, but, and then I think he gave it to Laura Dern at the end of filming. Oh, that's so nice. So, where is it now? Does she still, I I presume she still has it. I would still have it if I was. Yeah, like in her closet somewhere. That's cool. That's another thing that we've seen a lot is Nick Cage bringing specific things to the the movies. And here we have a director who was like, yes, let's run with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, and something that's just like so, so, so perfect for his character. It really is uh, a symbol of his individuality and uh, belief, belief in, in personal, personal freedom. freedom. <laughs> and it's Nick Cage's symbol, too. And I you love... Know, it's beautiful. Yeah, and I love him, like, his character with the jacket, like, when he gets it back out of jail and he's just, like, he beats up that guy and then, like, sings Elvis to Lula because he's got his jacket and he's just, like, it's just, like, his yeah fucking magic charm superhero jacket. Power Mad! Power oh, Mad, yeah. the band, yeah. their favorite band. They're the band that they go to they when go he sings see. Elvis. What is, is that thrash metal? Yeah, I think yeah. that would be considered thrash considered metal. Thrash. I like it. I'm into Me it. Too. And when they like get out of the car and like uh, fucking like dance and punch and, and yeah. like the side of the freeway to it. <laughs> <laughs> you fellas have a lot of the same power E had. Oh my God, I wrote oh, that oh, down oh, too. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> we all write that down. Yes. By then they'll be driving Buicks to the moon <laughs> in Cape Fear, which I love Cape Fear's like pop culture significance a lot. Mm-hmm. It's just like the best name for a place. For, I know. This is another thing that uh, Nick Cage said, uh, uh, says, 
There's also a danger to Sailor. He's capable of killing a man with his bare hands, but he's also a good guy. There's just that edge. It's hard for me to analyze Sailor. I don't know what I did to get there. I've often played roles that were very contained. Uh, or, sorry. I, I've often played roles that were very large and sort of manic, and I wondered how I could be that ludicrous, but in a very contained way. Sailor is a lot more sedate than I've been in a while in a film. He's a strong character who doesn't need to rant and rave to get attention. The challenge is to be mega cool in a way that will be totally absurd. In thinking about my own, I don't want to say obsession with Nicolas Cage, but... I think it's an obsession. It's definitely an obsession. Yeah, I think think that now, Dave, at this point... Since this is your third attempt to watch all of the Nicolas Cage movies, you're definitely obsessed. Is this an intervention? (laughs) Yeah, so I've actually just been, like, stringing you along for, like, five months. I I enjoy living vicariously through your Nick Cage obsession. You've just been, like, stringing me along to create some vestige of self-awareness in me that uh, I can take a long, hard look in the mirror. Well, Emily, and I think I said this to Dave before, but it's funny how now that we're doing this podcast, when I meet people, somehow like Cage or like a Cage movie or something comes up. Yeah. And and then I talk about the podcast or like I tell them that I have a Nicolas Cage podcast. Everyone's reaction immediately after that is always to tell me about like their favorite cage role or like, Hey, have you heard of this weird thing about cage or this movie that he was in? He's a national treasure. uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, but it's true. Like I think, I think a lot more people are, are invested in Nicolas cage than you think. He is actually like my favorite actor. I love him a lot. I don't know. I can't get over him. And I just like, okay, I I, I keep harping back on this, but the fact that he's so much more self-aware than a lot of people give him credit for. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's such like a perfect summation of what he's been, of his career up to this point and what makes Sailor Ripley work. And I think, uh, uh, at least at this point in his career, um, from, um, you know, Nick Cage was mega cool in a way that was totally absurd. Like he, he was just, he's so cartoonish and laughable and mm-hmm. risable and he is completely owns it and pulls it off. It's mm-hmm. crazy to me that he was ever considered like a cool, like celebrity or even yeah. that he was like, or like, even that anyone thought he was hot or attractive. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I, I think he can be, he can be attractive, but it just depends what role he plays. It almost like I've like noticed he's like in like, he's sexy in this movie. He's sexy in raising Arizona, but you know? I, I've noticed more and more, like even in this movie, like scene to scene, like in some scenes, he looks like he's 40 years old and yeah. He, and really, and then in some scenes he is just, yeah, he's so sexy. And he's also kind of one of those people who you can't even really tell what he looks like. I mean, you know what he looks like, but you, I don't know how to explain it. You're just like, sometimes you see pictures of him and you're like, Oh yeah, that's, super weird. <laughs> that's him. And he's got that weird triangle hair. Right. Yeah. And like that really... long face. Apparently he and Laura Dern on the shoot gave each other nicknames. He was rattlesnake and she was shadow fire. <laughs> Those are unexpected. Dern called Nick, quote, an action cat on the move and laughed. We got under each other's skins forever during filming. I bet you did. Every day was a journey to <laughs> Disneyland. He's the rattlesnake king of the universe. Wow. <laughs> That's the most psychedelic, wonderful thing to say. <laughs> yeah. I wish someone described me as that. I know. Uh, uh, what was it? A what cat on the move? Uh, a, a wa- an action cat on action the move. Action cat. The rattlesnake king of the universe. Action cat on the move.
That uh, Wizard of Oz theme is cool. Yeah. It is, um, I like how it doesn't ever quite fit into the rest no, of the movie. No, it doesn't. But it somehow still makes sense It's where not it really, like, parallel necessarily, but yeah, it's not like, I like it just being, like, a weird thing to, like, follow. Oh, so, okay, so this is, there seems to be a theme, Dave, that I've noticed of, <laughs> um, of, like, uh, clubs going off in Nicolas Cage movies. Oh, yeah. Like, this is, this is, like, the third or fourth movie in a row where he is in a club that is just... Like people are having the time of their life apparently in this. And then club. there's a fucking fight. There's violence that happens. Like in the Vampires Kiss like in Club. Vampires Kiss happens in Firebirds too. <laughs> um, it, Judson Spence. Judson. Well, Judson Spence, uh, new wave king that never was, is I playing. Looked, I looked his videos up after we talked about it yeah. on the last episode. It's really rough, it's right? So bad. Yeah. Judson. Judson Smith. Judson Spence. Spence. Judson Spence? He yeah. was, he was How like is that a failed, name? He was, I know, that's what I said. That is not even a word you can say. He was the failed like MTV wannabe that was, uh, who's, that was playing in the club scene in Firebirds. Is yeah. it two? They're is it a, a first name and a last name or is it just one word? No, it's a first and last name. Judson his first Spence. name is Judson and his last name is Spence. Judson? His parents named him Judson. <laughs> And he, when he started his professional career, his professional career, he was like, yes, I'm staying, I'm Judson Spence. I'm Judson, Judson Spence. The same way that the people talk about Elvis is one word. You You guys have a lot of the same power Judson Judson had. had (laughs) Judson Spence. Yeah. Also, that band has a lot of the power that Elvis had. (laughs) Yeah. Power mad? I mean... They can I love how that power mad riff plays like so much too, like uh-huh. as a just a transition. He's so right though, because they can play Love You. I know, just brilliantly. Because a guy harmonies. in a snakeskin jacket told him to. I love the whole club stops. Yeah. That's like And the girls cheering is so beautiful. I know. Apparently those girls were uh, they were told to cheer, but they actually like went wild. They were so like turned on by what Nick Cage was putting out that they were actually going crazy and being disruptive. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a powerful scene. I mean, that's just like if and he's actually singing. If like the uh, the trope of you know someone uh, insulting your girl at the bar and then you uh, defending her honor is is that's such like a well worn and loved trope. And we're gonna see it again in Con Air and probably. I think it happens a few times. 10 other movies in uh, Nick Cage's uh, filmography. But like, this is kind of the ultimate one because everyone in the bar is on his side. Everything stops and everyone is quiet and they form a circle and he gives like a little speech, like a beautiful little speech. Defends his snakeskin jacket as well. Yeah. Punches the dude out and then sings and uh, everyone gets a boner. Yeah. So Harry Dean Stanton Ugh, yes. is, oh, fuck. is so good in this movie. It's, he's, it's amazing. I mean, to he's me. good in pretty much everything right. ever. Cause he is Harry Dean Stanton, but he is very good in this. He sounds almost like he improvised the whole, the, <laughs> like every line that he said in this movie. It almost sounds like it's all improvised when he's watching, uh, when he's in new Orleans and he's watching the like hyenas getting ripped apart. Oh, I he's love like, yeah. <laughs> Buffalo hunting? The fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, I, I made a thing. Oh, yeah, Johnny Farragut. He could find an honest man in Washington. Right. <laughs> 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 
I always, I've seen this movie like three or four times and I always get caught up in the first half of it and what a beautiful fun dream it is. And that car crash scene is such like, he has all this stuff happen on highways Get at my night. hairbrush. It's in my purse. Oh my God. And she's got that sticky stuff in her hair. Yeah, I got the and sticky stuff in my hair. I mean, it really does like, it, it. the movie is a dream like from beginning to end and that is where it turns into the nightmare like pretty pretty clearly because then from then on out all the characters that he introduces are pretty like nightmarish yeah it's like crazy yeah and and definitely nothing is going right like yeah it's i mean laura dern's pregnant but like it's not she's like throwing up and sad in the motel and yeah and then fucking uh what's willem defoe's character's name bobby Bobby Peru. Peru. i love that is one of my actually that whole section where they meet where john lurie and jack nance are there that's like one of my favorite scenes like ever in the lynch movie besides in blue velvet when uh fucking dean stockwell sings but that scene is just so great and like yeah john lurie is there and he's Mm -hmm. just being john lurie and it's like yeah john lurie is of course just there yeah john lurie playing himself (laughs) just like chilling in this weird motel I want to see a whole Lynch movie about that motel Me and those characters. Too. About Big Tuna. How do yeah, we like contact him and make a big... I would watch a show about fucking that Big Tuna. Dude, don't They're make the Twin Peaks making a porno. Make Big Tuna. Texas style. <laughs> My dog barks some. Uh, you might even picture Toto from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I love those kind of characters too. Cause a, a few of those people, well, Jack Nance is in like every single David Lynch movie. There's like a couple other people who are in a bunch, like, um, the guy, what's his fucking name? Who plays Billy Bibbit? What's his name? Oh, he's Chucky's voice. And he's in like, what's his fucking name? I don't know. Billy Bibbit. Yeah. From, uh, from one food one food food yeah. he's in a ton. He's always like a crony in, in David Lynch movie. He, I think he's in it. I don't know. I want to be a bit player in the Lynch universe. It's such a good universe. Um, oh, uh, fucking Mr. Reindeer. Yeah, I was about to say Mr. Reindeer and his like uh, his harem. I know. I love. I love how that's also not like who is he and what his weird world like. When there's that woman and she's like, "Now, girls, like our job here is to make Mr. Reindeer happy," and it's just like he's right. just this millionaire with this like house full of like <laughs> topless women who like caress him. It's never explained. No. And it's never. never returned it's, to. it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and he never like he he has the phone call, but he never is like in a scene with anyone else right. from the other world. Right. It's true. Yeah. You know, like he exists in his own little, they're like, going to find out bubble. what we're up to with Mr. Reindeer. Right. And those silver dollars. Oh, uh, and fucking oops. What about, uh, when they go to the bar and there's the quacking man. Oh yeah. <laughs> Pigeon spread diseases. <laughs> um, another great thing that, and that song that that woman sings the like up in flames. Oh man. That's one of my favorite songs on that uh, soundtrack. Yeah. It's so cool and weird. Um, okay. Another thing, the, uh, when Nick Cage is telling the story about like, an old girlfriend, that woman with the oh, orange yes. pants. Take a bite of peach. <laughs> Take a bite of peach. Like, is it? You all- got me hotter than Georgia asphalt. <laughs> and Laura Dern's getting all turned on listening to the story. Yeah, that story is great. I like that whole scene. Yeah. And like, what is happening? Like, she like lies on a bed of like assault, assault rifles. rifles. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just like a, a just a little like I, I like all the stuff that's not explained. Yeah, know? just a window into more things that And like what does Marcelo Santos like actually do and like what is he up to with right. Mr. Reindeer and like what like he was a driver? Like what does that even like actually mean? Like there's just so but it kind of just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're like I don't even really care that was just complicate things, but I like that they're just bad people. Yeah. They're just like bad CD fucking monster people. Well, it's almost like you know, going back to the whole thing being a cartoon that he introduces all of these nebulous one dimensional villains. It almost feels like a Batman cartoon mm-hmm. in the sense that there's just mm-hmm. all these like general gangsters right. who just kind of are aren't just really explained evil. and are just around. Yeah. Like, but you see them and you know and, they're like, bad. Right. Yeah. And they yeah. have crazy names and freaking Grace Zabrinsky's character. Oh, it, she's and, and, the, with a limp. Yeah, yeah, when that like the club leg. So apparently, yeah. too, another scene that got that they had to was you know how they're like about to have sex right after they kill Harry Dean Stanton, uh-huh. and she's like Reggie, Reggie. Oh yeah, yeah. Apparently, they actually did have like a sex scene that like went on for a while after that, but people were just like really, really grossed out and upset by it. Oh. So they're like, oh, I guess we better just imply that that happened instead of actually showing Wait, it. Wait, so they actually filmed it? Yeah. Oh my God, that's crazy. I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they actually filmed it. There was a bunch of shit they actually filmed that they didn't get in there. Where's this footage? I don't know. Either that or they... I'm asking you like you know, but I just know, but I just mean like... I know, I know. Like how how come there hasn't been some sort of... I should fact check that one. I know that it was, I read that it was a thing, so it was either written in and didn't happen or it did get filmed, but for some reason I feel like it did get filmed because people had a very negative reaction to it. Yeah. Well, then how could... There should be like a lynch cut of this movie that Well, there should because there's also all the other Lula and Sailor sex scenes that happen. Like apparently there's one where... Like the take about a peach thing where it's like Lula is like lowering herself onto Nicolas Cage's face and Uh she says, take a bite of Lula. Oh my gosh. Which is also just like, it's just like, oh my God, (laughs) that's too much. (laughs) I guess David Lynch is the, the way that they describe working with him too, is that he is super positive and like just happy and energetic through the whole thing. And just like the vibe, they said that it was like such a positive fun set. Well, you know, that's the thing about that movie too, is another thing I always notice in movies is that movie seems like it was really fun to yeah. be in Yeah. because everyone is acting like full, like everyone has just taken it to like, yeah. to, you know, it, and it's like, you can tell that everyone had good chemistry with each other and was just like, Yes, they're on the like, same page. They like yeah, what they're doing. It, it's it's. I really like that. It just that's what makes a movie good. A lot of the time is just when you can tell that everyone is just like having a great time being in it. Yeah, I'm really big on that. Because uh, you can really tell when people are not having a good time. Oh yeah, you definitely can. <laughs> it, like can ruin it ruins everything. Yeah, it, you can see it in a little movie called Firebirds. Oh yeah, no one was having fun in that. No, the tone. To- <laughs> is Firebirds just going to be a punchline for like the next couple of episodes until we see a worse well, Nick Cage movie than we're, that? We're watching Zandali next. So oh god uh, damn, really? Who, the who fuck knows? is Zandali? Dude, good question. <laughs> we're gonna find out. I know Nick Cage plays Judson an artist. Spence. He looks kind of like Judson Spence, actually, but he's got a <laughs> goatee. Um, here's another line from Bobby Peru. Oh, yeah. One-eyed Jack's yearning to go a-peeping in a seafood store. Oh, that one's so good. That scene where he goes into Laura Dern's hotel Ugh, room. Very scary. Is one of, it's so fucking disturbing. Yeah, it's, I have it, people, I know people who won't watch this movie because, because of that, that scene. scene. 
What's up with those teeth? Um, well, apparently that helped him. There, it was like a David. He was like, you should wear these teeth to be this character. And then I guess apparently he is another person who had a really fucking great time because the moment he put in those teeth, he just like got really like he was just really into being Bobby Peru, Bobby Peru. and like make. I think he like even made up some of the things that he said because he just got those teeth on. <laughs> and he was just like the way that it like changed the way that you talk and like just everything. Right. But that those teeth like really made him made him. Love it. Willem Dafoe consistently amazes me in the ways that he can play the most like disturbing, disgusting, like sadistic characters and still make you be like, yeah, I want to see Willem Dafoe. Yeah, I want to see him. He is so excellent. I love him. (laughs) Someday, honey, I will, but I got to get going. (laughs) And he's like, uh, and then he tempts. He tempts Nick, Nick yeah. Cage to be a jailbird and, and go rob the thing. Come on, Mr. Big Round Balls. Let's go make <laughs> some easy money. Ooh, and fucking Isabella Rossellini oh, also yeah. looks so great. With the, like... Uh, Perdita Durango. Those, uh... The blonde, like, Madonna hair. The yeah, and then her, like, tights that go over the high heels. <laughs> <laughs> and then so William, William Defoe fucking... Shoot, shotguns his head off. Yeah. <laughs> and a dog runs off with the hand of that man in the feed store. Yeah. <laughs> That's so morbid. So bizarre. That's so great. And then when uh, fucking Laura Palmer comes from the sky as uh, yeah. as the good witch. A robber in a manslaughter and yeah. I haven't had parental guidance. Also, all of that is filmed down by Nod. Like, did you notice yes, that? Yes, I did notice that. that. That's literally the road. road that is not. Like, when there's all the cars yeah. lined up, you can see that Yo. it looks like it keeps going, but it actually stops, and it's the river. When I figured that out, I got so fucking excited, and now, like, every time I go down there, I'm like, ooh! Uh, here's a couple other things from uh, the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli. <laughs> Um, Nick Cage says uh, about Wild at Heart. He said, "I used to call that my Andy Warhol period because I would take the icon of I would take the icon of Elvis the way Warhol would and try to put something on top of it and filter it some way. Um, I was taking the biggest American icon Elvis and trying to do my impersonation." Blah, 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 blah. He, I mean, he does do a great Elvis impersonation. He really kind of is super Elvisy in that movie. Yeah, and I guess David Lynch is a huge Elvis fan. Um, oh, that's of course. I bet they just were loving that <laughs> and saw it as an opportunity to get as close to casting his hero as he was ever going to get. <laughs> this was the kind of movie I wish Elvis had made. He said. So David Lynch <laughs> is a fan of Elvis movies. Although, and, did I bet I bet David Lynch loves um, King Creole? I bet he does. Did I tell you guys about the time I tried to watch every Elvis movie? Um, I've actually have gotten very close to doing that oh, very same you? thing. Yes, they're really bad. They're but awful. They're like they're like fake. They're like movies built around Elvis. They're like right. fake facades of movies. But I really love them. Except like okay, well like King Creole because that's the I've best actually, one. I actually haven't seen that. That's one. his fucking like crowning opus. It's so fucking good. It's like also still silly fucking Elvis movie, but it's also really weirdly beautiful and kind of haunting. And it was Elvis's favorite movie of all the Elvis movies because he okay. felt like it like he was taken the most like seriously in it and it is like more of a real movie right. he really can't act no he really can't he's, he was really a terrible and he, actor. I love how what an asshole he is in, the, in all of his movies yeah yeah he's always, he's a always a weird asshole sort of like in Purple Rain what's that one where he like there's like two Elvises there's like the cousin the Elvis. kissing there's, cousins yeah there's country Elvis and City it's called, Elvis. I think it's yes. called kissing cousins that one's weird yeah that one is has that really uncomfortable like hillbilly uh like 
caricature happening. Yeah, when that was still okay. Yeah, when there's like the, like, why are the twins and we kissing our cousins? <laughs> the sexy hillbilly. <laughs> it really leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Blue Hawaii is a good one. That, that was, the I think, the only one. That has that the one, like, bratty girl who's, yeah. like, the I like her. That one's good. Um, the one with uh, Viva Las Vegas, obviously. With obviously. The one really that was, good. there was one that was super bad that I saw. That's the clam, the clam bake one. Have no, I haven't I've seen heard that's that the worst one. I heard, well, Harem Scarum sucked also. No, I kind of love Harem Scarum though. Harem Scarum is really fucking weird. Like what kind of universe does that happen in? That's like not even, they go to like a town where it's like fucking up like a thousand AD or something. And everyone is like, it has harems and it's, but, it's, but I, li- I like that one. <laughs> there was one where he's a boxer that I'm thinking of. It's like it's called like Kid. Uh, I don't think I ever saw that one. I don't remember the Did name. Did you ever see the one with Mary Tyler Moore called A Change of Habit? Yes. I, I, when he sings the In the Ghetto song because right. he's a like ghetto doctor. I think that was the last one he did. Yeah, probably. It was. I mean, it's a late one. I used to watch that a lot because I had it on VHS, and sometimes we would just like watch it while we were drunk because it's like has some good songs and it. it's funny. <laughs> It was like a serious Elvis movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was the most serious of Elvis movies. It was like way less dancey than the others. Right. It was trying to be a real movie too, like King Creel. There's just so many bad musical numbers in Elvis movies. Yeah. It's like, it's like amazing to me that they got away with some of the stuff. You had to see did. King Creel, man. It's got like the best. Yeah, I, w- yeah, yeah, I will. I'll watch good. it. I'll watch it. Well, other ones, uh, there's so many other ones too. Well, there's like the County Fair one. Yeah. They're all kind of the same. They all they? weirdly like there's a few like Blue Hawaii and Clambake are the same movie except Blue Hawaii is like less boring. <laughs> I feel like all of Elvis's movies could be like, well, this one's less boring than that yeah. one. But they're all kind of equally boring. Yeah. On a scale from like bad but to But some worse. are more aesthetically pleasing than others and have better songs and just funnier, like weirder things that happen. The songs in King Creel aren't that great, I don't think. I don't know. They're all just about like crawdads and shit. Yeah, but it's like just it's about the like, like gumbo. Yeah. Oh god, they could sell anything with Elvis on it. Like, yeah. It. It's crazy that True. there was a period of time where Elvis could just not be touched. The shame it that it, like the quality was not even a factor. Right. It's a shame he never went to space. Elvis. Elvis, Elvis in space. Yeah. Elvis X. <laughs> Elvis <laughs> X. <laughs> Ow. He, he did use uh, the 2001 theme as his entrance oh, music, I know. so I guess that's kind of yeah. that's, that's, that's about as close thing. as we'll get. Well, back to Wild at Heart. Oh, they, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. We were talking about something else entirely. The movie Elvis never made, but should have. Yes. Does Wild at Heart count as an Elvis movie? Kind of. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you squint. <laughs> uh, when it went to con, it got booed, and then went on to win the, the film Deor. Yeah, people walked out of like the test screenings, isn't it? Like people really didn't like it. Apparently, Roger Ebert was the. I read the review. I found it online. Oh, really? It's he really hated it. Really? What? What, what was hell? his argument against it? What? He just. I think he just didn't understand it. He's just yeah. a humorless. Yeah, he doesn't get camp. I guess yeah. no, but yeah, well, his his problem. But he was wrote that, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, so yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, what yeah. the fuck? But it wasn't camp at the time. It's only true. in in hindsight we realize how campy it is. Yeah, but it, but so. it was never meant to be camp when it when he wrote it. I don't think. So what was his problem with Wild Heart? 
you know, like it's it's all just things that like someone's grandfather would be like. Right. I don't understand this movie because right. it doesn't make sense. All the things that you just like that I don't even care about because I just like it aesthetically, right? And, like right. vibrationally, so so. And much. also, like Lynch hadn't he hadn't made you know he hadn't had a career as much as he does now, and because nowadays when someone sees a Lynch movie, they know what they're getting into, right? Exactly. Yeah. But back then, it was pretty much just Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, everything before that, head and, yeah. right? Because uh, yeah, and, and then Elephant and then uh, so that didn't really, I think, prepare people for what kind of movie they were getting when they saw right. a Lynch movie. He um, also Roger. I don't agree with a lot of Roger Ebert's uh, reviews. Like, I feel like he's. For it, he's one of those critics who everyone knows and respects, but like he, uh, I don't know. He's kind of a square. Yeah. yeah but I he's... think it's annoying when people are like, I think it's annoying I, I, when people are just like, well, it didn't have a plot like this and this thing was never solved for me. So therefore, and you're like, there's more to movies than that. Cause some movies can be conventionally very bad, but are still like genuinely very good just because of other things. So if you're going to be like a stickler for conventional, like, formats and stories then you don't really know what you're talking about apparently nick cage was excited that uh that it got terrible reviews he said <laughs> he said it was good that they booed that <laughs> that meant the movie affected them there will be a lot of controversy and that will be good at, for us and then after the screening at con he and laura dern went off to a casino and won a thousand dollars oh nice good for them <laughs> um also this is uh again from the book Nick was left with one particularly indelible memory of the festival, the night he attended a formal banquet at the Carlton Hotel and was seated with Guy Jacob, the festival president. Looking back a couple years later, he said, there was a big banquet with like 400 people all dressed to the nines in tuxes and evening gowns. I was sitting there with David and Laura Dern and the president of the festival and his wife. The president's wife said, would you please sing me love me, would you please sing love me tender? And I just went white and started trembling. And David was like, Nickster, buddy, man, you jump on the table and you sing to her now. So I did jump on the table and in this quavering eggshell voice sang Love Me Tender to her with sweat drenching my forehead like Albert Brooks in the movie Broadcast News. <laughs> then I got back down and was met with fairly courteous applause. It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever had to do and probably the most embarrassing, but there was no other thing that could be done. It had to be done, so I did it. I liked your David Lynch impression there. It's pretty good, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. bad. <laughs> I'm Nickster? <laughs> Nickster, buddy boy. Um, that is terrifying. I think I'd be terrified in that situation. Yeah, because I, it's one thing as an actor when you, you know, when you're on stage or when you're in front of the camera and you're expected to act a certain way and you're right. expected to do a certain thing and you've really trained and thought about how you're going to do it. Whereas when someone just springs it on you and you're like in the middle of a crowded room, yeah. you know, that's dance that's, monkey. I mean, that's real. That's a really scary situation to yeah. be in. That's a pretty lofty thing to request of someone. Also, I don't think I'd be able to remember the words to that song in that instance. Yeah. Right. Like I'd be so nervous that I get through the love me tender part and then just I'd just be like, it again. Uh, <laughs> there's more to it, I guess. Um, I, I, I want to touch on this just for a second. I'm, I'm going to talk about this more next episode. Um, but uh, I've been reading about Nick Cage's, the way he's been misspending his money. Uh, in my notebook, it says Nick Cage expenditure report, which is, I really should look at myself in the mirror. 
Um, <laughs> Wait, did you just tally? Are you just tallying what you like read about Nick Cage buying and then like keep or keeping a log? Uh, let's just go to my notes and see okay. whatever I wrote. Okay. Uh, expenditure report. When we last left him, he was living with actress Jenny Wright, an octopus named Cool, several sharks, eels, and lizards on Hollywood Boulevard. He had an octopus named Cool? He had an octopus named Cool. Cool. And uh, he had two bathrooms, we established, uh, in his house. Um, and when girls came over, he would put the eels and things in the men's bathroom because they didn't like them. Um, <laughs> He, he liked living on Hollywood Boulevard because of the, quote, carnival atmosphere. What part of Hollywood Boulevard? Did he I don't know. He broke up with Jenny Wright and moved into the El Royale complex in Hancock Park. Um, his neighbors in the building included Antonio Banderas, Melanie Griffith, and Kiefer Sutherland. Oh. 1989, he moved with his new girlfriend, Christina Fulton, into a penthouse at the El Royale, $3,500 a month, and completely redecorated it. This is something he uh, goes on to do with all of his houses, just redecorating them in crazy ways. Like he, he paid $8,000 for shutters on the windows, new carpets and like crazy long curtains, hand carved chandelier, art deco lamps, parquet floors, a stuffed boar's head, a giant model of a bumblebee. <laughs> wait, 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 hold on. Are there any more details on that? Um, no. <laughs> A neon sign reading Rocket to Los Angeles, <laughs> an original Mark Chagall lithograph, a portrait of Elvis, a complete leather bound Encyclopedia Britannica that he would just read by himself. Oh my God. A, an old phonograph player to listen to 100 year old opera 78s on. <laughs> um, and they got rid of all their sharks, but they got two cats and a, a bird and a bunch of smaller fish. And there's this quote, he says, uh, let's see, but, but they had a cat named Lewis, in the, and then they got a, another cat, and he said, I do watch the cats, and some of what they do stays in my mind and appears later, especially when they have sex. <laughs> Wait, so he just had two cats who were just fucking, just like, fucking all over each the other, house? And, and he would just sit... Uh, in the dark. Yeah, he did. He, he had the big curtains because he didn't like the sunlight. So he just sit he in the dark reading his encyclopedia and watching his cats fuck. Um, <laughs> what was that story he told about like doing mushrooms with his cat or he like ate some mushrooms and then like just like gave some to his cat? I don't remember that. I can't remember the full story. It's like an interview he does with somebody and he talks about it. <laughs> he like got up and like the it was like the middle of the night or something and he like shared mushrooms with his cat. He would. <laughs> So in 1990, he, he bought a Gothic Victorian house in Pacific Heights in San Francisco and a castle, a literal castle in Los Files oh, yes. with turrets, three bedrooms, maids quarters. And it was, it's over 5,000 square feet. David Lynch came to the house and said it looked like a vampire's house. <laughs> he is a vampire. And oh, yeah. um, Nick Cage said it was built in 1928 and it's trying to look like it was built in 1465 and it doesn't quite pull it off. <laughs> so there's this sort of faux thing happening that I really like. Um, does he still live here? In, in the castle? No, just here in LA or does he live in like Vegas or something? He's got or? a bunch of houses. I, I know he had the house in New Orleans that I don't oh, know if he yeah, still yeah, has. Yeah, a, yeah. A, the a, really, really haunted one? Yeah, the, the one that was owned by uh, that person who like tortured their slaves and 
it has a bunch of ghosts in it. Um, uh, here's Didn't a, his like career get shitty after that? Yeah, I think I said this on our first episode because oh, someone yeah. someone told uh, someone told me they were like friends with his assistant at the time who said that he bought that house and like went crazy and his career went bad, like he got haunted. Here's here's uh, some expenditures from um, from that house from the castle. Nick set about imposing his personal style on both houses. A six-foot-tall sculpture of a winged Balinese god stood before the massive front door of the castle to greet guests. Over the years, he built up a collection of stuffed, mounted, and hanging insects, including beautifully backlit butterflies. One report at the time uh, of his purchase claimed that he had a human skull called Vincent and a preserved dead bat among his decorations. (laughs) A myth has also grown about the headboard and bedside tables of the master bedroom. They were allegedly decorated with various insects as well as a giant cockroach in memory of the bug he ate in Vampire's Kiss. Um, but uh, Nick Cage says that that was a myth. He says it was not a cockroach. Cockroaches live in sewers and are all the creepy and dirty places. It's a beetle. Beetles live in the forest and are very different to cockroaches. <laughs> I have the Titanus giganteus, which is the largest of all beetles on the headboard. And on the end tables, I have a rhinoceros beetle. <laughs> <laughs> He did, however, admit that another Dracula, another vampire, Dracula, was part of the inspiration for the decor. Much of my lifestyle is modeled after him. I don't drink blood, but otherwise, I just admire the sensibility. <laughs> the, <laughs> I don't believe him. The gothic decor of my home is inspired by it. To me, Dracula is love in exile. Bizarre stuff seems to happen to me. I'm much more at home in a creepy environment than a pristine one. He's such a nerd. Nick Cage favored massive, heavy furniture and tiger and leopard print rugs and described the ambience as Elvis Presley slash Euronymous Bosch slash Liberace. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a combination. <laughs> yeah, seriously. This is the last part. He also looked nostalgically back at his childhood with a three foot tall model of Pinocchio and a picture of him at three with his father standing next to the same Pinocchio at Christmas. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Later. That's, that's like almost delusional to do yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's Vincent? the. A skull named Vincent. A skull named a human skull named Vincent and a preserved dead bat. Um, that seems pretty cool. In San Francisco, he installed specially commissioned stained glass windows featuring nature scenes, making them, to all intents and purposes, opaque. He explained, "It's the opposite of a view. I think of it as a womb, an inner sanctum uh, of not being able to look out, but being totally inside a world that is completely my own that I can escape to. It's the Edgar Allan Poe in me. I love sea creatures and I love animals in the jungles, so I had the stained glass designed after that." <laughs> Gargoyles, griffins, and gilded swans all formed part of the decoration, and in keeping with his fascination for things Japanese, he kept a samurai sword at the top of the cabinet. He painted the wooden exterior a dense black, adding to the Adams family image. Um, Yeah, Joel Cohen said, he's a little Adams family. He likes to promote this image anyway. He's a strange guy. And Norman Jewison, the director of Moonstruck, said... A little eccentric. He'll try anything. There's no rules for him. So, so he, so he basically just built himself haunted houses until he actually literally moved into a haunted house. Yeah, he, ghostfront property. Yes, ghostfront property. Ghostfront property. Yeah, he. That's what he calls it. Um, and yeah, but I, I guess the point of that is there's a yeah. I don't actually have anything else to say. 
he built, he bought a lot of crazy shit and it <laughs> spends his money like a child. I like that. I appreciate that. That's why he takes all these movies though. That's also kind of why he's the best actor. Yeah. Like I really just think he's kind of the best. Like he's so fucking crazy and weird and he can go all sorts of places. He's a genuinely interesting guy. He obviously loves is a materialist and loves to spend money, which I relate to. And if I was him, I would do the exact same fucking thing. Well, I think, and it's like, dude, if you can get money for doing like some doing what you love to do, even if it's shitty bullshit, you're like, fuck you, I'm getting paid. And I'm going to also be in this shitty movie, but do the best weirdest job at being in this shitty movie that even this shitty movie will be memorable to everyone because I'm just being the most insane I can possibly be in it. That's why I respect him. Even when he takes like, everyone's like, Oh, he's in shitty movies, but I'm like, whatever. He's being the biggest freak ever. Yeah. He's just living his, his life as a total freak. And he's has a career. He needs to make money. Like what the fuck else is he going to do? You know, he might as well just be in some bullshit movies. Yeah. And then live like Dracula on the and side. live like Dracula if you can. Oh, the other thing he, he tried to import walls from actual castles to, for his castle house. And how does that work? I don't understand. Because, uh, do they, how do they transport the walls and what, like the entire wall? Um, uh, he, like I don't, I no, really sure get in sections. I right? just don't know, but I just don't really get what that means though. Like they're going to tear down the wall and just put that wall there or like I just the so. inside of the wall. He said, I just don't like stucco. I don't like the prefab cottage cheese spray on crap. And my house has that now. Um, I've tried to sandblast it off, but it doesn't work. So yeah, he's trying, he, I think he's just trying to get stones and stuff. From okay. Castles so they just knock it down and knock bring it down it and put and then put, and put it back castle up. Walls inside. Castle walls. Why don't you just get someone to build another like stone? Why does it have to be house? those bricks? Why does it have to be walls from a, a literal castle? Yeah, Why don't you just have someone build you castle walls if it's that important to you? Because he spends money like a child. I love it. It's it great. He, um, Oh, I, really I, I guess that. the true button to me saying all of that is that I went to the house. Um, we didn't talk about this. I, 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 so it's in Los Feliz, which is pretty close to me. So I looked it up. Apparently he sold it in 2010 or something. Um, but uh, it's there. You can find, you can see the castle. You can see the turrets. Um, I thought about sneaking into the grounds and looking around, but I thought better of it because I don't want to be arrested for... Um, <laughs> for something that pointless will you see officer i have a podcast <laughs> it's all for my podcast officer yeah, yeah um but yeah so do you want to talk about industrial symphony number one i do did you watch it i did watch it i had actually seen it years ago but i rewatched it again uh, and i gotta watch it you guys can just talk about it i'm gonna get some water sure <laughs> um what I so I didn't I hadn't actually listened to Julie Cruz's music. I have a record of hers oh, that is mostly songs from Twin Peaks and this. Yeah, uh, just like combined into like an album, and uh, it's so good. Yeah, it's amazing to I, me. Like the the songs that that she made with Lynch and Battle of Mente are like some of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, me I I since have. Uh, got her albums and listened to them and they're fucking brilliant. And David Lynch is a really good musician. I don't know if you've heard his solo record. Cause I did. I did. And, I, and, and yeah, it's I great. Like it. Um, and this, I don't know. I, I was really into industrial symphony. Number one. I, um, I mean, for the purposes of this podcast, Nick Cage is in it for like two seconds, but I think more for the purposes of the podcast, it thematically, ties in with wild at heart so well that it's almost like 
I feel like it's almost like another episode of the movie. Yeah. You know, because the movie's so episodic where, you know, like certain things just kind of begin and end and then don't really have anything to do with the larger plot. Right. And I feel like this movie is just taking one of those, like, um, you know, uh, tangents and expanding it to like a a full length. Well, it's not full length. It's only like 50 minutes long or something, but... You know, it's the length of like an hour long TV show or something. Well, and the idea is that uh, like because the intro is Sailor and Luna having a discussion on the phone and him breaking up with her, Whoa. and uh, and then Julie Cruz plays her dream self. I think. Yeah. So I think from what as. I understand, it's all Lula's dream. Yeah, and Julie Cruz like floats around and. Uh, and uh feels things um mm-hmm. and it's like yeah it's so fucking good and uh that, was it actually performed live as an opera and then they filmed it or how do you it was definitely like yeah it was definitely performed live and filmed i don't know if there was an audience or not okay but um, okay but yeah it was a stage show and uh and that dwarf actor from twin peaks is in it mm-hmm. and uh some other Mulholland. he's a Mulholland drive is he I think so. I think he were a minute at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was in a dream that I had once. Whoa, that's terrifying. <laughs> it was really weird. <laughs> it was Sorry, like at a train station and he was there. It was like, I don't remember any details, but it was that actor specifically because I woke up and was like, that was that actor. It was like at a train station. He was in like a train conductor like outfit and he was like doing like handsome. That's like literally all I remember about the dream. Cause that, that was that guy. And it was just really funny. I think I was just watching twin peaks at the time. So he got in my subconscious somewhere in the many swatches of the fabric of reality. There's a version of industrial symphony. Number one, that's your dream. Yeah. With, with him inside <laughs> with him of it. It. Yeah. And Julie Cruz as yourself floating yeah. around. Um, I wish David Lynch did more things like this. Yeah, me too. Um, it's, it's, it's cool. I don't it's know really what else cool. to say. It's crazy when you think of how prolific he was at this time too. He did, you know, he did the first season of Twin Peaks, and then he did this, and then he did Industrial Symphony Number no. One. Yeah, and then he did, um, and then he did. I mean, he made that whole Julie Cruz album at the same time, right? Yeah. You know, he was he was involved in so many different kinds. That's of, the one with that's like floating, yeah, falling. Yeah. Floating I really like night. that one. It's that's so like my favorite good. one. I think he. Yeah, I mean, and people think about David Lynch as, you know, just a filmmaker, but he was uh, a... so much. Yeah, I'm, he was a visual artist before he was a filmmaker. Like, he went to school for visual arts. And Have uh, you seen his short films? Yeah. They're crazy. They're crazy. His, his oh, yeah, yeah. Also his cartoon, what's Dumb his, Dumbland? Dumb yeah. Dumbland rules. I'm a one-armed duck fucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, oh, he's such a special freak. Yeah, this movie, uh, just watching this movie again made me really excited to watch some more David Lynch. Um, and cause, I need to watch more shorts. Yeah, I, I want to watch. Also, when's the last time that you watched Mulholland Drive? Because I've actually watched it a couple times again recently, and I've like appreciated it so much more. I used to like not like it as much. As like Blue Velvet or like Wild at Heart, but now I like really like yeah, it. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's I so probably watch amazing. Mulholland Drive once every year and a half or two years. It's such yeah. a good LA movie. Too. I see yeah. it. I've seen it many times. And mm-hmm. that fucking just it's so perfect. It, it's, it has the most 
it's got the it's like the most like feeling movie right well you know just every scene is like ugh. like it really gets under your skin in like such a specific way that like no movie has ever like made me feel as fucking weird as that movie it's devastating too oh yeah oh yeah it's like deeply sad and deeply frightening yeah like it's one of the scariest fucking movies and it's one of those movies that can be scary without even being scary like just like okay the whole scene before the dumpster guy which is one of the scariest things yeah but the scene leading up to the dumpster guy is like so fucking terrifying and all they're doing is talking but just like right. for some reason the vibe of it is so just like no like this sense of dread well, is it's, like it's, so palpable and it's just they're not even doing anything that scene is literally a dream within a dream yeah in that movie and so it's so like the whole movie is a dream with a tethered from reality I, I have only seen Inland Empire once. I've, I've never, never seen, seen that it. one. I've yeah. never seen it and I really want to. I want to rewatch it. I'd like to rewatch it. It's like. And Laura Dern. Yeah. Is she in that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know she was in that. Yeah. Her, Nick, or, uh, David Lynch's nickname for her is Tidbit. Yeah, that's really cute. It's really nice. <laughs> um, so, is there anything else that we want to touch on? There probably is. Um, I feel like we skipped over a lot, but I can't think of what. I mean, I guess we pretty much did like cover. Uh, yeah, I, I just while at heart sits in David Lynch's filmography in a really weird place. I feel like people yeah. don't talk about it a lot. It's not as respected as like it didn't. It didn't it's not because it is so like campy and like. Yeah, it is. It's more it less. Low. It's less like organized and it it feels less intentional. Yeah. Than the way like Blue Velvet. I feel like everything is fucking actually perfect about Blue Velvet yes. and like there's and same with Mulholland Drive. Really, right. like those two movies. Like there's nothing really out of place about them at all. They're not they messy just, at all. They're so succinct and everything is like perfect symbolism and just like fits together like. Yeah in a perfect way. And right. wild at heart is messy. Like yeah, it's just kind of like, all these loose ends that we're like it's about. just a crazy shit show, but it just works so well to its credit. And it just like, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just, it's a different kind of dream, but it's the kind I, I think maybe people see it as, uh, yeah, like a, something a less skilled filmmaker could make than, you know, like because yeah. of those loose ends, it's not like Mahan drive, which could only David Lynch could make, um, uh, where yeah. they're just I, also like when it came out, I guess he had kind of a target on his back because Twin Peaks had just blown up, and yeah. I, I think a lot of critics really wanted him to fail. Yeah, um, that's true. And uh, this this isn't a movie that if you weren't down with what he was doing, it, it wasn't gonna like convert you. Yeah, I could imagine hating it if I wasn't prepared or I didn't like. You can't imagine hating it. Oh, I can imagine hating it. I can't imagine hating it for some reason. If, but maybe it is just because I love David Lynch. I don't know. You just don't get it if you never yeah. like. Well, again, like I was saying before, all of us have the hindsight of coming like right. of growing up after David Lynch was already a cultural factor. That's true. Yeah, yeah like, it's already was, changed the, right. the the whole conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, thinking about like the precedent that he had set down for this, like Eraserhead is different and crazy. Blue Velvet is different and crazy. And The Elephant Man 
You know, I've never actually seen the Elephant Man. Oh, oh you should see it. It's, God, it's great. Good. That's what I've heard. It's not necessarily it. a good Lynch film, but no, it's, but it's, a, it's, but it's a great movie. Yes. Well, he has that weird like Disney one that he did. Was a straight story. Straight story. Straight story. Oh, yeah. Never really seen good. Straight Story. Harry Dean Stanton's in that. I know. Well, Harry Dean Stanton's in like every Lynch movie after. Harry Robin Dean. Hart. Yeah. Straight Story is um, really sweet. Dune. He also had done Dune. Oh yeah, I love that Dune. I've never seen. It's so weird and long and stupid and great. Stings in it. Stings in it. I love Sting. I know you do. You have such a deep weirdo. appreciation for Sting. It's true. It warms my heart. Um, well, so next week we're going to talk about Zandali. And, um, what is it? Do you know anything about Zandali? I've done no research Zandalee? on it, and it's really murky and kind of nebulous as to what a kind of movie it is. Yeah, what is a Zandali? I, 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 I think I, it's someone's name, right? I, I, think, I, I think we're in for another uh, maybe uh, dubious southern accent. Um, we're in for yes. some questions. That's my favorite Nicholas. Oh, that's the other thing. Nicholas Cage, sexy, sexy jailbird, Nicholas Cage, <laughs> sexy Southern jailbird. Nicholas Cage is my favorite. Like in, like in raising Arizona or Conair or Conair. He's just like, I don't know. I'll just, I have this like really strong moral fiber, but yeah. I just keep slipping up and making mistakes, but it's only cause I, I love you so much. He's kind of perfect playing. And I need to provide for my family. Playing someone really simple. Who's also really bizarre. He's kind of like that in Valley girl too. He's yeah. like that same kind of like bad boy with a cause. Right. Yeah. He's not deep, but, but uh, He's uh, wide. He is wide. <laughs> you fellas have a lot of same power he had. Y'all know this one? To read me like a fool.